motherfucking shit up. Yo, people, what's going down? Welcome to another episode of Echo Chamber. So, we got three films this week that we're going to get into. What, two films and a documentary, okay? So, before we get to that, let's look at the top 15 films streaming in the UK this week. At number 15, it's The Call of the Wild. At number 14, we have Spies in Disguise. At number 13, Jojo Rabbit. At number 12, it's The Lighthouse. At number 11, we got The Greatest Showman. At number 10, Jumanji The Next Level. At number 9, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. At number 8, we got Frozen 2. At number seven, we've got Cats. At number six, we've got Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. At five, it's Bad Boys. At number four, we have Onward. At number three, it's Little Women. At number two, it's 1917. And at number one, it's Bad Boys for Life. Okay, so before we get to the films, here's a bit of news. All right, cool. Okay, so fans of Japanese cinema, yo, you can rejoice because BFI Japan 2020 is now upon us so from the information on the website it reads in this major season we spotlight japanese filmmakers who have inspired admiration and fascination around the world we have long carried a torch for japanese film here at the BFI, since the birth, the first BFI London Film Festival opened with Akira Kurosawa's Fawn of Blood in 1957, we've played a vital role in bringing the cinema of this culturally rich nation to UK audiences through our festivals, seasons, theatrical distribution, books and video publishing. In this major season, we spotlight filmmakers who have inspired admiration and fascination around the world. We begin our story with Akira Kurosawa, and over the coming months, we'll present films from the golden age, a focus on Yasugira Uzu, New Wave Rebels, the visionary creations of anime, the Neverworlds of J-Horror, and so much more with archived rarities to contemporary works and cult classics. This landmark season will take place on the BFI Player. It started on the 11th of May, and it will continue with new, co- new online collections released each month, and 
they expect to present it at the BFI South Bank and cinemas nationwide later on in the year. So, yes, you'll be able to see stuff like Seven Samurai, Drunken Angel, Ran, Stray Dog. I mean, just classics like that. So, yeah, if you're a fan, um, go check it out, right? So, you'll be pleased to know you can get a free 14-day free trial of the BFI player. Um, and after that, it is $4.99 a month, but you can cancel whenever you want. And another thing that a lot of, you know, film fans may enjoy, um, you know, there will be a lot of exclusive introductions from Mark Commode. So, that is Japan 2020. It's on the BFI player right now, people. Go check it out. Okay, people, so starting tomorrow, the 29th of May, what is being hailed as a historic film festival event is going to be taking place. I'm talking about We Are One, a global film festival that is being put together by YouTube and just an array of international film festivals. So we have people from uh, the likes of the Berlin International uh, Film Festival, BFI London Film Festival, Cannes, um, <laughs> just everyone, Jerusalem Film Festival, the Mumbai Film Festival, um, we got the Toronto International Film Festival, Tribeca, Venice, Tokyo International, and a whole heap more. So they're all coming together. Uh, it's running from the 29th of May to the 7th of June. So 10 days, 10 days of action, all airing on YouTube, right? So, um... It's free. Everything is free to watch. So you can donate though. So I believe on every film page will be a donation button. So you can go to that and donate. And um, yeah, the money will go to uh, COVID-19 um, relief. So yeah, you know. A good cause because there's a lot of people hurting right now. Um, so yeah, if you like film, and if some of your favorite film festivals, you know, they've had to be cancelled, then uh, this is a great opportunity for you to go uh, and and watch some incredible film. Now it's going to be a mixture of things that have already, you know. Been at film festivals, like uh, you know the BFI, um, yeah, because they're curating a channel, so they're going to one of their films is um, it's gonna be Rude Boy, 
Destoria Trojan Records, which played at last year's London Film Festival. So you're going to have things like that, but then there's going to be a few new things thrown in as well. There's shorts. You know, there's a big shorts um, program on tomorrow, you know, and um, yeah, it's from the 72nd Festival de Cannes program two so yeah they'll be running those you know and a lot of other short films are playing so uh yeah go to the information of this episode and you will find a link to the schedule and a link to the youtube page so yeah we are one remember to check it out people 10 days of film action You can't get better than that, right? Okay, film fans, this will be of interest to you. Today, Cinema Showtime, an Indiegogo crowdfunding multimedia project designed to reunite film fans following the coronavirus lockdown, has launched. They will be working in partnership with Medi Cinema, the charity that brings the magic of film to hospitals. Cinema Showtime is a project that is looking forward to a time when restrictions are lifted and we can start going and doing what we love again, going to the pictures. It is looking forward to a time when we can watch rescheduled movies that we have been waiting to see for months on the big screen with our friends. The current guidelines suggest that we can expect to see cinemas reopen to the public from July the 4th. Perhaps that will be our own Independence Day. (laughs) What the Cinema Showtime project involves production and distribution of a free glossy magazine written by film experts and packed with the ultimate preview of every movie being released between November the 20th and August the 23rd. Sorry, that's November 2020 to August 2021. This will include the latest release dates, info, features, interviews and more. Staging a one-off live event in a prominent London venue called Cinema Showtime Live that fans and contributors will be invited to attend. This will include a fan lottery with incredible prizes and money can't buy merchandise and experiences also creating an online site and newsletter that celebrates the return of cinema with up-to-the-minute news and information production unique and exclusive merchandise to tie in with the event and film releases and also 10% of all contributions and money raised will go to the charity Medi Cinema to assist with their work. The teams behind Cinema Showtime, creative 
Path Group Limited, Strike Media Limited and My Film Club. We'll be monitoring the latest coronavirus guidelines to ensure that what is planned will be sensible and time sensitive. The first Glossy Magazine is currently scheduled for October. As this proceeds, a number of major rescheduled movie releases for November onwards. These include No Time to Die, Black Widow, Soul, Free Guy, Peter Rabbit 2, Fast and the Furious 9, Top Gun Maverick, Coming to America 2, The Tomorrow War, Venom 2 and many more. Medi Cinema is a registered UK charity that builds and runs state-of-the-art cinemas in NHS hospitals which accommodate beds and medical equipment. They work to help improve patient well-being, resilience and recovery through the power of film and the shared cinema experience. Currently, their cinemas are suspended just like all regular cinemas across the country instead they are providing a free movie channel for patients to access at their bedsides during the long periods of isolation that come with restricted visiting hours we are raising money for them to keep these services running and to ensure their in-hospital cinemas can reopen when it is safe to do so um the Medi Cinema CEO Kat Mason said, We all miss being able to go out to see a film with friends and for our NHS patients who are more isolated than ever and not able to visit our in hospital cinemas. It is even harder. This is such a wonderful initiative. Uh, we are so grateful for Cinema Showtime support, which will help ensure that our cinemas will reopen and that patients can once again have a break from the wards and their conditions to do what used to feel normal to all of us. To go and watch a great film. Alright, so check out the links in this episode's information on how you can get involved with uh, Cinema Showtime. Great stuff. Okay, people. So, fans of Shudder are going to be um, happy to uh, hear this. All right. So, the, um, you know, the streaming service has, you know, it's happy to announce that he's acquired exclusive US streaming rights to Richard Stanley's Color Out of Space, starring Nicolas Cage, Jolie Richardson, um, and Madeline Author. Shudder also announced the acquisition of US um, exclusive US streaming rights to the Shed, the sophomore feature from writer-director Frank Sabatella, um, and it's starring JJ Warren. Cody Costro, Sophia Happenin, um, Frank Wally, Sean, Sean Fallon Hogan, and Timothy Buttons. Both films will premiere on Shudder later this year. Okay, so, um, 
Yet they had this to say. We're thrilled to be bringing Shudder members Stanley's masterful adaptation of one of H.P. Lovecraft's most influential stories, as well as another unforgettable Nicolas Cage performance. And Sabatelli's inventive new take on the vampire genre. Um, Yeah, the first half of 2020 has been the most successful in Shudder history. And these two great films will be part of an already strong second half of the year. Alongside titles like Scare Package, The Beach House, La La Loigna. Scare Me and our upcoming original documentary on the history of queer horror. And um yeah, that was um Shudder General Manager Craig Angler. So there's a 30-day free trial code in the episode details. So if you're a fan of you know and looking forward to those films. Make sure you get your subscription and check out what Shudder can bring and do to, uh, yeah, bring a little enjoyment to your life. Okay, so now we've got that all those announcements out the way, let's get to this week's films. Okay, so, um, (laughs) man, I just watched a film called Tomboy on Netflix. It, yeah, it's an interesting one. So, it's, it's just come on Netflix this week, but actually it came out in 2016, but when it came out, it was called The Assignment. Um, never heard of it. But it had uh, Michelle Rodriguez in, who, you know, I think she's a great actress. So I figured I'd check it out. Um, So it's from um, writer and director Walter Hill, uh, produced by Harvey Khan, um, Sayed Ben Said, and Michael Merkert. Um, and he'll base the story on a screenplay by Dennis Hamill. And, um, yo, that screenplay was written in 1978. So, yeah, it was an old one. Um, that he kind of, he really liked the, the story. It was, the story was slightly different to the one that we see. Um, but, you know, he tried to do something with it in, I think, 88, couldn't quite get it to work, but came back to it, uh, early 2000s, and, yeah, then it kind of took off from there, so it's starring, as I said, Michelle Rodriguez, uh, Sigourney Weaver, Anthony LaPaglia, Tony Shalob and Catalin Gerard. Okay, so the cinematography is James Liston and the music is Rani Shok Shoknan 
and Jejorio Medora. Uh, the the concept is um, is this: following an ace assassin who is double crossed by gangsters and falls into that falls into the hands of rogue surgeon known as the Doctor, who turns him into a woman. The hitman, now a hit woman, sets out for revenge, aided by a nurse named Johnny, who also has secrets. Bum, bum, bum. So, it's not an overly long film. It's, uh, what, 90, about 95 minutes. So... You know, it, it, it kind of moves along. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's 18, okay? And, look, so, the, 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 the idea, we know that from the gate, right? So, it's Hitman who gets uh, turned into a woman. And so, the film starts... With us, um, well, it 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 starts with kind of flashbacks, essentially, right? Well, actually, 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 I tell a lie. No, the film starts and we have, um, a kind of a voiceover. So we've got a close up on a bandaged face, and we just get the kind of like you know. I killed a lot of people. I'm not a good person. But, uh, you know, shit happens. Now, I'm looking for revenge. So we kind of get that. Then we go into a, um, a doctor going into a, you know, a secured prison hospital setting. Talking to Sigourney Weaver's character Who's locked up And um, Yes, so She's giving An account of You know, I guess like Her wrongs and why she's There and she's kind of Alluding to No, 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 you've got it wrong This is what happened This person did it You know, it's not what you think Right, and she keeps on saying, "No, it was it was Frank. It was Frank Kitchen." And then we kind of get the, then we jump into the flashbacks, okay? And we have kind of a Frank, and we see what led up to, you know, the the incident that Sigourney Weaver's character. Is uh, discussing um, along with uh, you know the doctor, Doctor Ralph. Uh, so yeah, the, the, you know we see this kind of thing, and so they we've got someone, um, yeah, someone playing. Well, it, it's an odd one, right? Because. We're seeing um, 
I guess the 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 male. Well, we're seeing a guy, right? Um, who's doing this stuff? But then the guy does look very feminine. So you're looking at the guy and you're thinking, is that? Mm. And I guess it was um Michelle Rodriguez in both kind of guises. Because yeah, it it does look like a very feminine dude. But, I don't know, there's some other stuff which kind of made me kind of quite, like, yeah, I wasn't quite sure. But, you know, we kind of get all of that kind of backstory, essentially. Which then leads on to, and we kind of, and the story's jumping, right? So, it's then jumping to the hospital with Sigourney Weaver, to then... Frank is a woman, and this is the this is the story. Now, the plot itself, it's not. Yo, know, it, it's kind of different. I mean, we've had identity swap films and TV shows, you know, like Face Off. I guess that's one of the biggest ones, right? Um, but I remember there was a TV show, Nip Tuck. And I think there was a... Hmm. There was a similar kind of thing. A gangster, you know, got plastic surgery. Now, I can't remember if it was gender reassignment or if it was just a complete kind of, you know, changing look. But yeah, I think we've had the change in look in films as well, previous. So it's a kind of a, a an idea that's kind of we've we played with before, but a little bit different. So there's there's that, and you know I think a lot more could have essentially been done with this whole thing, but. We do run into problems. We definitely run into problems. Like, the cast is good. You know, the cast, we got a good cast. You know, good actors, good actresses. And, you know, on that side of things, everything is pretty decent. You know, but it's the story that, you know, gives you pause. Because there's a lot of stuff happening that doesn't really, doesn't really make any sense, right? So, straight out the gate, we've got, you know, when Frank wakes up and, you know, so he's taking all the bandages off, right? And we have Frank in front of the, uh, the mirror, it was a bit like, what's happening here? Because, you know, we, we have all the bandages coming off. So, you know, we're, we're having Michelle um, stand there, kind of in the buff. But it's a bit like, are you really doing that? Like, there's certain things happening that is kind of like, but you you know. You know what I mean? It's just like, 
you kind of, as soon as you look down, you know you've got breasts, right, you know that, oh, hold on, my dick ain't there, like, all of that is pretty much, you know, just feeling it, just putting your hand there, you're like, huh, and so, yeah, there's, there's this, like, I don't know, that, that, there's a lot of that scene that you're just thinking, we didn't really need all of that, because it would have just been so obvious, so we got, so that was a bit odd, um, and then some of the actions as well, because like the, where she's staying, the hotel, it's a dodgy area, but we have her go out, basically with nothing on, you know, just kind of a, 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 a shawl kind of thing, and just, and you're just like, wait, are you telling me that if a, a woman, an attractive woman, goes out in a sketchy area like that late at night, would nothing's gonna happen? Yeah, you know what I mean. It's just like come, come the fuck on, man. Really, please. And also, is with the knowledge that there are clothes in the hotel. Like she knows there's clothes. In the hotel, so it's just like you'd put something on, like what? Huh? What's happening? Right? So there's all of this that you're just a bit like, mm, that's all a bit weird. But then you have her, um, yeah, kind of meet up with someone who she she, she met when she was him. Which, again, is a bit like, hmm, this is, this doesn't make any sense, right? That whole situation doesn't make too much sense in the regard that to get that information, Frank had to go back to his old room. So you have to kind of go, oh, right, so the character is definitely going to do these things. Which, how are you going to, you know what I mean? Like, how do you know that that's going to happen? You know, it was just a bit like, wait, huh? And why would they? But you kind of think, okay, so, yeah, there might be a kind of a setup that he's already got, right, you know, if this happens, like, this person's looking after my finances, and blah, 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 so it'd be like, go there, but the whole kind of con- the conceit is, right, he's, the, he's gonna wake up, then gonna go back there, they're gonna call this person, they're gonna do this, there's a lot of kind of stages here that are very much up to chance, so there's a lot happening that is out of your control, but it's all been kind of conceived like, yeah, no, this is all a definite, which, yeah, it's a bit odd, right, it's a bit odd, and just the decisions, right, for that person to then agree to, you know, do these things now, it's a bit like, wait, why would you be expecting that? Per- because Frank's got money. 
So like I think for a, a stuff to kind of work, you you have to have the character in dire situations. Like I've got no money, I can't do this. Uh, what am I gonna do? So if you had it like that, then there's more of a possibility of them doing what happened, maybe. But you know. If you're giving this character all this cash, then it's just like, but why wouldn't they just get a room? You know, why wouldn't they just... Yeah, so there's a lot of kind of odd stuff. We then have... just Because, you know, to have that surgery and to have that... They, there's a bit of an allusion to, oh yeah, I'm still a little bit sore. But... There's so much more that would be going on. Like, they'd be bruising. <laughs> you know, there'd, there'd be a lot of bruising. There'd just be a lot. <laughs> and, and you have to have... It's not just, oh, one surgery and we can do all of this. It's kind of like there'd be multiple surgeries to achieve what the fuck just happened. So, uh, yeah, it's it's all very peculiar, and the time frames don't make any sense, right? I think if you had kind of had the story kind of go, you know, it it it, it was lo- over a longer period of time, it would have, I think, made a bit more sense, you know. But, yeah, there's just way too much left to chance. You've got, um, you know, Frank trusting this one person way, I get, like, way too much. Like, if you're saying Frank is this top hit person, right? This top hit man, now hit woman. Like, yeah, they're not just going to trust anyone. So, yeah, just a lot of the kind of setup to the film is odd. You know, just odd. And I think it's like the timelines are a bit weird. For the story to then kind of, the way the story and the narrative kind of comes all the way around, you're, you're like, oh, right, you know, you're getting towards the end, and then you're like, oh, I see, we've, you know, we're at this kind of point, and then you're just a bit like, uh, I don't care, you know, like, they haven't given us anything to care about. Like, there's nothing about Frank that you're just like, yeah, I want Frank to win. Like, I want to, you know, like, other stuff, you know, in in more successful kind of films that have dealt with, like, hit people and that, you know, there's been something about the character that you're just like, oh, man. God damn it, I you know I feel bad for them. But you don't really feel bad for Frank. It's you're just a bit like 
and you know what I mean like and and then we get this kind of reveal at the very end that's just a bit like <laughs> oh oh no you know you kind of realize oh yeah because we hadn't seen but it's just like yeah you know what I mean it's it's, it's not this big like whoa I didn't see that coming. You know, it's just like a meh. Which just makes everything just a bit, yeah, it just all falls a bit flat. You know? <laughs> that's, I mean, that's just the overall issue. Like, there's, there's this kind of, they've given us this plot, this acorn of an idea that, you know, it could have been interesting, right, could have been interesting, but it just, just isn't, it just doesn't really take off anywhere, which, yeah, it is a real shame, you know, because there's definitely things that, you know, could have been done, you know, just the whole revenge bit is, it is all kind of skated over pretty quickly, you know, they just kind of, boom, just move through all of this stuff, and you're kind of like, wait, surely the people would have got kind of wind of what's happening, right, surely that would have happened, but it's not, (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? They, 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 no one seems to, you know, have any idea of what's been happening and what's going down. Which, yeah, just all seems a bit weird. I mean, a few weeks ago, we looked at a film called um, Acceleration, right? You know, the Natalie Byrne one with Danny Trieg, um, Dolph Lundgren, Chuck Liddell. And, look, that film... You know, it it wasn't anything crazy, but that one, with the whole revenge plot, at least we, we had, you know, everyone going, hold on, this stuff is happening, we better watch our backs, and you had people on edge a bit, like, that, you know, that wasn't reflected in this film, which just seems to be something that's a bit like, Hmm, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, so that was all a bit weird. And yeah, then the film just kind of ends. And, you know, we have this overarching um, narrative, you know, that's like, oh, yeah, and blah, 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 that's sometimes kind of, you know, brought to life with um by the use of a, a a video being recorded but that in itself just all seems a bit like wait why you know like what what's the point of this like why would you be doing that that doesn't make any sense you know because 
Hey, so you're giving away just everything. You're telling everything. Like, why? Huh? Mm? You know, it's all a bit kind of weird. And then at the end, it's just a bit like, when you get the big reveal, it's just like, oh, yeah. And the doctor... Then we see it, and it's just like, well, surely you, there should be the, yeah, this is what I did. You know what I mean? Something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just something. But, yeah, just nothing. Just nothing. <sighs> so, you know, I would say, look, it's not a terrible film, right? And I think the idea... That um, you know the the idea that Walter Hill had was um, you know he said um, you know what do you say? Okay, yes, this is it. Um, I I wouldn't make um. Oh no, that's not the uh, where. What am I kind of thinking about? Um. Oh. Well, yes, um, this is what he says, right? This movie totally comes out of the same animus as my Tales from the Crypt shows. I mean, these are nasty people caught in a nasty situation. They're out of the experience as somewhat chastened and wiser for it. Assuming they survive, not all survive. You know, <laughs> and yeah, it it's like I don't know. We this is the kind of thing you get. He he's got this idea of this greater story, this greater you know narrative that doesn't really work out, right? And um. You know, like, people seem to be angry about the whole, you know, gender reassignment kind of aspect of the film. And about that, he, um, yeah, he said, I I wouldn't make a movie that hurt transgender people. Some of them have had a tough time of it. And the last thing I want to do is make anyone's road harder. But look. I understand the concern. Is it lurid? Yes. Is it lowbrow? Well, maybe. Is it offensive? No. I'm just trying to honour the B-movies that we grew up with. And that's the thing. Like, he he really wanted to make, like, a a B-movie. This is kind of something that he kind of refers to a lot. He wanted to make a big B-movie flick that people just love and look at as, like, a cult thing. And, yeah, doesn't, doesn't do that. And I think it's probably because he just tried too hard for that. You know, that it just kind of flounders. But, you know, it's fine. It's not the worst film that I've I've seen. Um and you know, if if you're a fan of kind of, you know, assassin kind of drama, then yeah, this might be for you. I mean, if you liked acceleration, 
you know, the, um, as, as, as mentioned a bit earlier, the, uh, you know, Natalie Byrne, Dolph Lundgren film, um, then, yeah, I think you would like this, um, other films that it's, you know, got a slight kind of feel of, um, you know, like La Femme Nikita, Assassin, um, probably more akin to the American version, Assassin, uh, we had Polar that came out last year, uh, which was based on some comic books, you know, there's kind of a feel like that, they try, he does try and use, like, a, a bit of kind of comic book imagery in the film, I would say Polar is a far better film that does make you kind of emphasise with your assassin uh, protagonist, but yeah, if you like those, you might want to give this a look, it's on Netflix, so yeah, you can give it a try, um, on Netflix, it's just called Tom By, Tomboy, okay, so it's no longer the assignment, so yeah, there you go people, might want to check it out. Okay, so I've just watched To The Stars. So this is the new film from Martha Stevens. It was written by Shannon Bradley Collery, uh, produced by Gavin Dorman, Stacey Jurgensen, Eric Romesamu, Christian Mann, and Laura D. Smith. Um, it's starring Cara Haywood, Lillian Laboreto, Shay Wigman, Jordana Spiro, Adelaide um, Clemens, Lucas Jade Zuman, uh, Malin Ackerman and Tony Hale. The music is from Helen McIntosh. Uh, cinematography is Andrew Reed. Okay, so it came out on the first uh, of June um, on digital download, and the gist of the film is this. Okay, so an acclaimed and uplifting coming of age story from the producers of It Follows and Midnight Special. In a God-fearing small town in 1960s, Oklahoma, reclusive teen Iris, played by Haywood, endures a cruel mother and daily doses of bullying from her classmates. That is until Maggie, uh, for, played by Liberato, uh, arrived the charismatic and enigmatic new girl that helps her to come out of her shell. But when the truth about Maggie begins to unravel, the community is thrown into a state of panic, leaving Maggie to take drastic measures and inciting Iris to stand up for her friend and herself. So, yeah, that's the kind of... um gist of things, alright, so, I would say this is a, it's a slow play, a slow paced feature, which is fine, you know, 
There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and, you know, it, it builds on, like, the the concept of the outsider coming to town and, you know, forming a bond with the town's outsider as such, right? So that's the kind of, you know, the key components of the story here. And they're throwing in some other stuff as well, you know. Um, like, you know, there's definitely a theme of, I think, you know, acceptance, friendship, loving yourself, you know, just coming to terms with your identity, you know what I mean, uh, whatever that may be, right, so these are the things that kind of run on the undercurrent of the film, and I think, look, when you're watching it, there are definitely little things that are thrown out there, right, so there's little kind of hints and comments that are getting made, but then there's also stuff that kind of is put out there, but then it just kind of just nothing comes of it, which, yeah, is a little bit odd, you know, I did find that a little bit odd, um, but yeah, I guess, you know, that's, that kind of happens, right, I mean, one but one of the big things is kind of like the the whole IB, well, not IBS, incontinence, right? So that's a thing, and then it's just not. But there's no real, this caused it. You know what I mean? It's, it's just a weird thing to kind of put out there. Make it a part of the story, but then kind of drop it. And yeah, I I think it, it is one of those things you do notice with the film. It doesn't always kind of follow through on the plots and certain aspects of the story. You know? Um yeah, it's it's a weird one. Like there's a lot of it filmed in the dark as well. At night, um, by the pond. And it makes it very difficult to see what's happening. And you know, the filming at night as well, it does make you know, the big thing that happens towards the very end of the film a bit odd right because you would be like there's no light where they were there was no light so then for anyone to see what was happening it's a bit like I don't that doesn't really make any sense because there was no light coming from the room there was no light outside, so how was this big thing supposedly seen? 
that that was a kind of an issue that was a bit like didn't there should be some more clarity on that that go you know maybe it could have been filmed in a better way but yeah it it didn't seem to um coalesce for me uh I think as well, you're showing like this friendship that is, is, you know, kind of growing and blossoming and all of this kind of thing that's meant to be helping build self-esteem and all of this. But the way the friendship is, is shown is an odd one, right? Because we're, we're getting shown that um, I think Iris is just very quiet and shy and blah, blah, blah. But you kind of look at it and you kind of think, um, like, okay, you've got her as being shy, but at the very beginning, it's kind of playing as rude as well, right? So you have this weird situation that happens... And you're just like, but it doesn't really follow how then, you know, they build anything from that moment. Yeah, it, so, so that's weird. You've got the interactions between um, Iris, I would say, and, uh, oh gosh, um, I think it's... Jeff, yeah, that seems to just suddenly, like, you mean, not quite appear from nowhere, but it's the, the, the way it's developed is just, it seems kind of like a foreign situation, and especially when you're talking about this time as well. Like, if it kind of happened like that now, you could, I think, play it off a bit more. But, yeah, there, there was nothing. And then suddenly there was this thing. So, yeah, I guess, I guess yeah, there was just aspects of the film that just seemed weird. And it all seems very surface level, right? We're dealing with... This issue that's kind of big, right? It's kind of big, but it's not really handled that well. Because I think there's, you know, maybe I miss something, right? Maybe I miss something. Um, but yeah, I didn't really feel that there was any kind of hints of of this, you know, we get a, a sense that, yeah, Maggie has a secret that she's not quite telling, and the way, um, you know, her dad reacts to her, which again, that, that first big thing seemed to be coming out of nowhere, but then that was it, that was really the only kind of instance of that, and it's like, look, if you're prepared to do that thing, kind of thing, it's not going to be a one-off, right? It's just not going to be a one-off. So, 
you you have to show more or show evidence of other occasions. You know, like yeah, build it. You know, that's the thing. Just build the story. Don't just throw things out there and go. Yeah, this is it. This happened. They do this now. Yeah, that's happening. And it's just like, you're not building it. You're just throwing things at the audience. And yeah, I I, mm, I don't know. I don't know. Again, maybe I've missed something, right? But I don't feel I did. You know, yeah, there was stuff in the dark. So maybe something, there was a pivotal thing that happened in one of those dark scenes and I couldn't see it. Maybe that's the thing. But, uh, yeah. Like, I did find it strange when Iris is like, without my my glasses, I'm legally blind. I can't see anything. But then she's walking around, fine. Right? Walking around, fine. I cannot go outside without my glasses on. Right? I, I walk around my flat. Without my glasses, only because I know where everything is. But even then, I still walk into everything. You know what I mean? So I don't, yeah, it makes no sense that you're saying this character is basically blind, but then the glasses come off and she's walking around. You know? It's. We're talking about, like, self-esteem. We're talking about, um, like, generals. We're talking about these big things, right? And I feel if you're making a film about that, show actual, you know, ramifications. Show actual feelings. And, yeah, I don't think this does it, right? I just don't. It is all surface level, we're not really seeing, you know, it's like the situation between Maggie and Iris, basically you know that's going to happen, from like the very beginning, you know, like as soon as you see it, you know, okay, so they're going to, they're going to meet, it's not going to And then it's going to go, and then towards the end, this is going to happen, and, you know what I mean, like, you you know the beats, right, and and it doesn't, like, we have, we have them go on the shopping trip, but that's kind of it, right, so then suddenly... Iris is a, is doing a 180 on the character. And it's just like, where did that really come from? Because we haven't seen it until that point. Right? So, you at least build it up. I mean, you at least build these things up. And I have to say as well, listen. When you're making... These films, it's just like, look, I remember the 90s, you know, She's All That and, you know, films like that, right? Um, 10 Things I Hate About You. And you've got the female character who everyone kind of looks down at. 
and they don't rate her as a pretty girl, you know, back then, it was dungarees and pigtails, right, that was a thing, and glasses, right, so this one just resorted to the, the whole glasses thing, and the glasses come off, and then everyone's just like, oh my god, you're so pretty, and it's just like, she's not an ugly girl, <laughs> you know what I mean, like, look, you can't have certain people play certain roles, if you're saying, oh, yeah, they're the plain ugly person, you know what I mean, because it's just like, look, Kara Haywood doesn't even have, she doesn't have to be your type, but you can look at someone and go, yeah, they're not an ugly person, you know what I mean, they're not even a plain person, right, I, I just think, for real impact with certain stories, and if you're really trying to kind of break it down, and, and show it as it is, you, you need better casting for roles, because it's just, you can't believe a narrative, right, when you've got a certain character playing, you know, it was kind of like with Rennie Zellweger playing Bridget Jones, and they've been like, oh yeah, Bridget's so fat, and you're just like, eh, no, Rennie Zellweger wasn't fat in that film, what are you talking about, you know what I mean? It is, yeah, she might put put on weight for the role, but she wasn't big. She wasn't big at all. And no one at that size is getting called big, right? So you just set up these things that make no sense. Just make no sense, you know? And, yeah, like, the very end... And and you, you have this whole thing play out and it's just like, oh, I'm not doing that. And then it's just like, where did that come from? You know? Like, there's the part, there's a bit when she's like, my parents hate me. Now, we see her mum be mean to her. We don't see the dad be mean. We don't see the dad saying all the hateful things that the mum's saying. So, look, I'm not, look, I'm not saying this film is terrible, and I'm clearly not the target audience for it, right? So, I'm, I am definitely sure people are going to watch this and say, I really enjoyed it, I really liked it. You know, and definitely looking at the ratings the film has, people have very much so enjoyed it, you know? But... It just doesn't go deep. It's a puddle. And I feel with these with these subjects you want an ocean. Right? Because there's people actually feeling maligned. There's people actually feeling confused about these topics. Right? And so it'd be nice them to watch something and you know, see the issue actually dealt with, you know, see the issue and the feelings involved actually dealt with and not just skimmed over like they are with this, you know, that's just my views though people, 
you know, I kind of feel that people that enjoyed um, the half of it, uh, you know, the fault in their eyes, you know, if you like those films and films like that, then I think, yeah, To The Stars is all you, you're going to enjoy it, you will relate, you know what I mean, you will be able to emphasise with what's going on a lot more than I do, okay, so um, yeah, it's available on all your usual platforms, okay, so you can get it on, um, you know, Google, um, iTunes, Amazon, all the all the usual sites, people. It's um oh yeah, it's it's a rated twelve. Um, it's a hundred and nine minutes. So, yeah, it's not overly long, right? Not overly long, but yeah, it could have been fleshed out a bit more. That's all I'm saying. Okay, but uh yeah, to the stars, people, to the stars. Check it out if it sounds like it could be for you. Okay, so this week I checked out Scream Queen, my nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, So this is from directors Roman Chimete and Tyler Jensen. And, um... It stars, basically, uh, most of the people that were in Nightmare on Elm Street 2, right? So you've got um, Robert England, Jake Shoulder, uh, David Cheskan, Robert Russler, Marshall Bell, Kim Myers, Glue Glue Glue. Um, yeah, it's it definitely interesting, right, and the gist of the film is this, right, so some have called it the gayest horror movie ever made, but for Mark Patton, the star of A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, it was anything but a dream come true. 30 years after its initial release, Patton sets the record straight about the controversial sequel that halted his career before it even began, detailing the homophobia and AIDS phobia of 1985 as a closeted actor in Hollywood. Mark retraces his obstacles, missteps and detractors on the pathway to stardom. Confronting the cast and crew for the first time, Mark attempts to make peace with his past as well as embrace his legacy as cinema's first male scream queen. So, yeah, this was an interesting one for me because... um. I've never seen, you know, Freddy's Revenge. Like, I've only ever seen the first one. And because, yo, so I forget how old I was. I think I was like six or something. And I remember stumbling upon, like, the beginning, like, a part of the first film. So it was the alley scene. Um, 
at the I think it's near the beginning. Uh, and I, I can't remember what happened. Like, I think I turned on the TV and it was on or, or something. But yeah, so I'd seen that and it scared the hell out of me. So I did, I didn't, I avoided it ever since. And then a few years later, um, I was with a few friends and they were just like, let's watch a film. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, we had a Betamax. So, you know, uh, there was only so many films you could rent. And, um, yeah, so I was thinking, so whenever I'd go around a friend's house, I got to watch films that I'd never had the opportunity to watch. And I think they had Robocop or something. So I'm thinking, yeah, let's watch that. And I think we were going to watch something like that. But then someone was just like, no, nah, let's watch Nightmare on Elm Street. And I'm just like, oh, my God. But it was during the day. So I figured, okay, fine. Let let me do that, and then hopefully, you know, I can put this uh, fear to bed. And it was fine. Like watching it during the day was fine, but I lived near one of the, an alleyway, and you know, so as soon as it got dark, that was like all I could think of was all of this shit happening. So after that, boom, there was no way I was ever gonna watch any of the other films. So, yeah, I just avoided them. So, um, I had no idea that, you know, this had been called, like, a, you know, a gay horror film. Or, you know, there was any stigma attached to it at all. You know, I didn't even know, um, like, the whole kind of conceit of the film. Like, Freddy is inside, uh... You know, Patton's character, Jesse So yeah, all, that was like Huh Okay Well yeah, that's I could understand Why people probably didn't like it Right, because then With this documentary, right So they, they were talking to A load of people And everyone's just like, yeah, it's the worst one yeah, hate that one. Like, no one, um, you know, seemed to like it. Because they were asking people at a convention, right? So, you know, but then you kind of are introduced to Mark. And, like, every, everything that happened is kind of broken down. And so you're try you're getting a kind of a sense of... Okay, right, so this is, this is the thing, but it was, I would say, like, there seems to be a lot of conflicting issues, right, because Mark, the way he talks a lot of the time is, like, he's really angry with, um, you know, the, the whole situation, like, especially David Chaskin, like, he, he really seems that he hates that guy, uh, so that's what we're told, so we're, we're getting all of this, 
and um, like the process and everything like that. And see, the something that they didn't really go into. Because when they're talking to everyone, so at first, like, people are just like, I had no clue this was meant to be, you know, like there was like gay undertones to the film, or like everyone's just saying that. But then, you know, they spoke to Robert England, and he's just like, Yeah, I knew. Like, there's there were bits in the script that specifically said, like, you know, this is an SMM club, and this is this, and this is that, but no one kind of pushed on that, you know, or, or it would have probably been interesting for them to, you know, take a look at the original scripts, like, look at the wording, because it really did seem that people had, you know, their, their, their um, reflection of what had happened had changed, right, because, you know, what we're kind of told that when the film first opened, everyone was fine with it, right, and it was only after the fact that a few publications started to say, oh, yeah, we noticed there's some, like, gay undertones in this film, blah, 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 and then, you know, you know what I mean, that narrative started to be run with, so that was the thing, it'd be like, okay, so, can we explore that, you know, because it's just like, look, if the, the you know the script might have said certain things and just people weren't really paying attention, which look that happens. The amount of times you read something and then you someone else reads it and you're like, oh yeah, so it's this, and they're like, no, <laughs> it's really about that, and you're like, oh right, I get it, yeah, I see it now, completely missed that. So it's kind of like you know what I mean. Did Mark just miss some stuff? And so that that you know the ang- a lot of the anger that he has is just you know it, it wasn't really um what he might have thought it was. But yeah, they so they don't really explore that aspect of it. Um and then we're kind of introduced to, you know, the the kind of feeling of the 1980s, right, in 1985, especially, you know, with um, the AIDS epidemic, and, you know, how everything was perceived in Hollywood, right, there's one thing I didn't know about was, um, that when you started on a new project, that they want they took a blood test. You know what I mean? Never, I've never heard of that, right? Because you know, you've watched things and they talk about you know the eighties and AIDS and everything like that. But yeah, never knew that you know a lot of films and TV 
took blood tests from their actors and actresses, you know, at that time, which is, yeah, that's kind of crazy, right? Um, so, yeah, we're kind of given, you know, uh, a lot of this, but, yeah, I kind of felt that there was stuff that they didn't really look into, right? Um, because, you know, he's saying that, because at first he's just like, yeah, this, you know, revenge, Freddy's revenge kind of ruined his career and he and he couldn't do anything after that. Well, I mean, like, afterwards he did make two TV kind of, he was in two TV episodes, right? Um, so there was like a CBS school break special and then something called Hotel, but yeah, then he just, and they were in 86, both of those, then he disappeared, but then later on in the documentary, he, he then says, well, I, I chose to step away, you know, it wasn't like, yeah, they, no one would hire me or anything, I, he's just like, I chose to step away, um, and yeah, then he went to Mexico, like, they didn't really ask him, why Mexico? Like, why did you choose Mexico? And why did you choose, you know, to set up the shop that he had there? Like, there was just a few things that they just skipped over. Which is a bit, I mean, I guess it's not overly important to the, the story as a whole. But, I don't know, I, I think... I, I think you need to kind of understand his real mind state. Because he talks about, you know, this being a bit depressed and sad and all of this. Um, and then, you know, finding out he had AIDS. But we don't, but it's all kind of just like quickly, quickly mentioned. And then he's just like, yeah, and, you know. And, you know, everything kind of changed. And I was drawing in this book and look, the, see the way the images changed. That's how my mood was and bum, bum, bum. But, yeah, we don't kind of, you know, he, he mentions that his boyfriend, Tim, um, you know, he got AIDS. And, uh, you know, the fact that he didn't, didn't really tell Mark and Mark found out from someone else, even though he had just spoke, literally spoken to him on the phone, and he's like, oh, but I don't hate him, but you kind of got a feeling that there was a little resentment there, which would be understandable, but yeah, it was, it was a, mm, I don't know, but then it's like, um, I don't know, like, he do doesn't say if, yeah, Tim had given him aid or what happened, you know, how he even met his partner in Mexico, like, all of this, we don't, we don't get, because, you know, they made a, um, another documentary in 2010, right, so, Never Sleep Again, uh, the Elm Street Legacy, and this looked at all of the films, 
right? So it, it broke down all of the films, spoke to all of the actors and directors and everything like this. And so they're the ones that tracked Mark down and found him. And they wanted to, to make, you know, this documentary, Scream Queen. Um, and he told them that he would only do it if he could confront uh, the writer, David Chaskin. And when we're seeing Mark at the beginning doing the um, convention circuit and all of that, yeah, like, there definitely feels like... Um, I don't know, there's some resentments, right, um, he meets, well, so we see him meet up with all the crew, and, you know, as mentioned in the uh, synopsis, right, this was the first time that he'd ever met up with him again, and I think that should have been questioned, right, because, with everything that he's saying, like everything that he seems to be feeling about the film and why he's, you know, it, he feels it forced him out of Hollywood and everything like that. It's just like, hmm, why didn't you talk to the other people and you know, get what their perspective was at the time, because when we we see him meet them, they seem to all get on, you know, they, 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 it didn't seem like there was an issue as such, so yeah, it was kind of like, huh, I don't know, what's, what's happening here? You know, what's the real context? Because there must have been a reason why he didn't want to speak to to them. Right? Did he hold them accountable as well? And, yeah, I, I kind of felt that should have been pushed. Like, so we see them all meeting at the convention. And then afterwards, they all go for a drink. And the next day... He sits down with the, you know, Freddy's Revenge, the director, Jake, um, Jake Shoulder. And Jake is just like, look, you seem angry. Maybe you need to let it go. And, um, yeah, Mark doesn't really seem too happy with that, right? And at the end... He does say, you know, all he wanted was an apology from people to, um, you know, about his experience and everything like that. And he's just saying, look, I, I, you know, I don't hate anyone. I don't blah, blah, blah. But it kind of felt that he did. Right. That was the um the odd thing. Like there was a lot of stuff being said, but it didn't quite match up with what you were kind of seeing. You know? Uh I don't know. 
See, for me, because I haven't watched the film, right? I haven't watched the film, so I don't know, right? Because, yeah, people were just saying, look, I just didn't like the film. And, yeah, I think when he, when they spoke to, it might have been Robert England, but he's just like, yeah, I, you know, people didn't like the film. It wasn't because of Mark. They just didn't like, the approach and that's a that's a thing right because you think about all the sequels there's not a lot of sequels that people actually enjoy from a franchise you know like aliens is is one of those oddities right that's one of the ones that people actually really enjoyed you know, I think Gremlins 2, I think that, people enjoyed Gremlins 2, um, oh gosh, there is one other that I cannot think of, but yeah, for the whole, people don't enjoy, you know, sequels, but that kind of thing was never kind of talked about, right, like, no one, you know, when talking to him, it's just like, yeah, they couldn't really see that, and he was, he's angry because of things that David Cheskin said, right, because at the beginning, everyone supposedly is just saying, you know, as I said, look, people didn't like the, people liked the film, then suddenly start, people start going, oh, there's a gay context, and at the beginning, I think Cheskin's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Then he starts to say, at one point, I didn't write a gay film. It's down to the hiring. And Mark seemed to believe that was a shot at him. And then, after a while, Cheskin supposedly is saying, oh, yeah, I wrote wrote it with a gay Subtext And so yeah Mark's angry at all of that So You know He he does get to confront The situation and talk Which I don't know it's it's, It's an interesting one It Doesn't from what and look, we don't know really how long they actually talked for, you know, because with editing and you know, it could have been like a couple of hours, but they've edited it down to like five, ten minutes. Who knows? Who knows, right? But we do get to see this, and um, I don't know, it's interesting. I feel you need to watch it, right. To really get it. Because I think like with the film. This really comes with your interpretation of the situation. You know. Like. Because I think what you're hearing and what you're seeing are two different things. I mean it does definitely seem like. um, Mark. Yeah, he's got some, you know, he had, he's got, he had definitely some, some demons around his experience, 
And, um, you know, maybe this whole thing has exercised them, you know? But uh, I don't know who can really tell, right? But, uh, yeah, I do think that fans of, um, you know, the Nightmare series will probably find this interesting. Because it is an... in You do get an insight to... Um, some of the making of it, right, um, we hear from the actors and actresses who were involved, and everything like that, so, yeah, you do get to be a fly on the wall, as it were, which is, um, always interesting, right, yeah, it's always interesting, now, with the, with the production of, um, the documentary itself, um, it was, you know, it was interestingly put together. I felt that there were certain shots that didn't really need to be there. You know, like the camera's lingering on some stairs. And it's like, wait, why? Why is it? Or just the wobbly cam effect in places at times following. Yeah, I think mean, some of those didn't need to be there. But all in all... It you know it was yeah well put together. Um, as as mentioned, I do feel that they should have pushed on certain questions and tried to explore a few avenues that were kind of just brushed over. But um, you know, I think it probably gives people what they wanted. You know, that the insight that they needed, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I think to watch this, it's a Shudder exclusive. So, uh, yeah, you can go to Shudder, check it out. They do have a 30-day um, a free trial right now. So, if you go to the, um, the episode details, you will find a link and a code, so, um, yeah, it's, yeah, worth, um, worth doing, 30 days, you get to watch this, and, uh, yeah, then you can look at some of the other content, I, I highly recommend going and taking a look at Blood, um, Blood Quantum, you know, that was an extremely, oh, man, an extremely good uh, film, and then you've also got Blood Machines, uh, and we've talked about both on previous episodes, so you can go check those out, okay, so yeah, there you go, people, there you have it, it is um, the newly premiering two-day Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay, people. So, we draw to the end of another episode. Help you um, found the, uh, you know, the thoughts on those films helpful. Remember, go to the episode details and um, you'll find all links there. Plus the code 
and link for your 30 day shudder free trial all right so a bit of news before we bounce um warner brothers have made their um Destin Daniel Cretton's legal drama, Just Mercy, it's going to be free to rent all the way through June. Unfortunately, only in the United States. And that's across any digital platform. You know what I mean? So any place you go to, you will be able to watch Just Mercy for free. Um... And they said, um, we believe in the power of story. Just mercy is one resource we can offer to those who are interested in learning more about the systemic racism that plagues our society. For the month of June, Just Mercy will be available to rent for free on digital platforms in the US. So, um, you know. That's kind of nice, right? Um, there is a... We did look at Just Mercy because it was playing at the London Film Festival. So, um, there is a review in one of these episodes. I forget which, but if you go to this last year's London Film Festival, you'll find it there. Um, also, in some interesting news that came out um, earlier in the week... So Steve McQueen had been working on a, um, a TV series for the BBC and it was going to be called Small Axe. Well, um, you know, it was an anthology series that dealt with West Indian community in London and it spanned the 1960s to the 1980s. But now it seems that, um, yeah, he's not making a TV series. Instead, he's going to be putting out five feature films um, dealing with the themes and concepts that he was working on. Okay, so two have got um, names um, and they're going to be, um, they're in the Cannes film selection of titles one is mangrove uh which deals with the true story of the mangrove nine it's starring latifa wright sean parks and malashi kirby um and the other one is called lovers rock Right, and um, you know, that deals with young love at a blues party in the early 1980s. So, um, John Bioga and Jack Loudon are, uh, I think they're in Lover's Rock. So, um, yeah, that's pretty interesting, you know. I'm definitely interested to see what happens with these films. And, um, you know, that's only two. So what are the other three going to be, right? And, yeah, how are these going to get released? You know what I mean? Are they going to hit the cinema? Um, are they going to go straight to streaming? Are they connected in any way? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm looking forward for more information around that. Um, okay, so 
here is some really interesting news so john wick right now we know there's gonna be a fourth john wick film and they are working on a tv series called the continental which i think is meant to be a prequel well that's not all <laughs> you read so word has now come that uh they're doing a spin-off series called ballerina right and um you know it kind of makes sense because we did have that scene in oh gosh um the third film right when um he goes to uh oh i can't remember her name but she runs the ballerina school and she go he goes there and um yeah all craziness happens so um yeah recently um you know chad Stakaleski was talking with um, Heat Vision and he uh, dropped a little bit of information uh, because, you know, the film is going to be directed by Len Wiseman, right? So he said, um, having Wiseman on board and approaching some of the action design from a slightly different perspective, meaning the set pieces, the character involvement, how and what he wants to do during the action sequences makes it feel kind of fresh. So we're not just copying ourselves over and over again with gung fu or something like that. And because the character is different, we're going to get a different take on things. So right now, I know that him and Shay Hatton are developing Ballerina. I'm not exactly sure what stage it's at, but it's something I know that both Lionsgate, Thunder Road and myself would like to see happen sooner rather than later. And from what I've heard recently, they've got a good angle on it. And they're actively developing it. So um, Ballerina is going to be focusing on, as you might suspect, a female assassin who seeks revenge against the people who killed her family. So, uh, yeah, I am very interested in that. Um, yeah, because, you know, the Wick films have been a lot of fun. Would it be nice to get a Halle Berry character spin-off as well? But mm, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see what happens with that. She might appear in the fourth, right? And um, finally, because I am always excited for news on June. Yeah, so something's come out, right? It's going to be a... Because we know it's a two-film situation, right? Um, because, yeah, June is a huge book. So to try and cram everything into one film, that would have been like... A four-hour monster or something. But Denis Villeneuve has recently, um, you know, he, he had a little talk with Collider. And he had this to say about it. It's a fully formed story in itself with places to go. It's a fully standalone epic film that people will get a lot out of when they see it. 
It was quite an adventure visually. It was a beautiful experience making it. The people involved with it, I was overwhelmed. Some of the actors as, as well as being insanely talented actors are just lovely, lovely people who I've become very close to since then. Um, and he is also um, working with Greg Fraser, who, uh, you know, who's going to be the cinematographer of the film. And um, he, because he's worked on, you know, Rogue One and The Mandalorian, I think people were, were thinking, oh, it might look like those films. But he said, um, he said this as well. It was quite fun because I had to forget a lot of Star Wars when I was making Dune. It wasn't hard though. Denny's and I spoke clearly about how the film should look and should feel. And the formats and this and that. So it was not hard to swerve and change lenses. There were some similarities like the deserts. I mean listen, ultimately... I'm positive George Lucas was inspired by Dune when he made Star Wars. I don't know if that's sacrilegious to talk about, but there are a lot of similarities in some areas. So you could tell he was definitely influenced by that. So I had to be careful doing both Dune and The Mandalorian and not to repeat myself. Also, not just for the sake of the movie, but for fun. I hate to do the same thing twice. So yeah, that's good to know, right? Um, and I cannot wait till the 18th of December to watch this first June film. Oh, also people, I think word is that cinemas are going to be opening by July. Every, all the cinemas should be open by July unless something crazy happens. So um, there is that. Alright, so enjoy your film watching people and we will be back next week, um, yeah, to talk more film. Alright, people, take care, right? You know, films are a great way to try and, you know, de-stress and focus on, try and focus on some other things in this crazy ass time right now. So, yo, enjoy your film watching, alright? Peace.